Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. Hello there, welcome to episode number 47 of Broken Records, the podcast which searches for the worst album ever made in the history of music. It is a spin-off from the Riot Act podcast, the alternative music podcast, which you can listen to every Friday where we review some of the very, very finest releases in all of alternative music. My name's Stephen Hill, you probably are aware of me and my work who what you probably aren't aware of is this little guy i've brought along for the ride <laughs> <laughs> it's the croaky voiced renfrey deadman joining me as ever hello mate how are you you all right hello Good. i'm still quite croaky not only yeah. am i still quite croaky this is from my weekend um at 80 trees for those who are paying mm. attention to the timeline i've been covered in mosquito bites somehow oh um and you are juicy for mosquitoes. I imagine you're quite the juicy snack, Renfrey. That's exactly right. Um, mm. And I, yeah, I'm absolutely covered in bites. So I'm trying very, very hard not to itch myself, which sounds a Ooh, little if strange. I was a mosquito, that thick, syrupy, alcohol and sugar heavy <laughs> diet that you give yourself, giving you that thick, sweet blood would be a, quite a treat, I would have thought, for a mosquito. I mean, annoyingly, I can't argue with that because mm. because I'd... because of my previous weekend's festivities so yes but before that i barely had any alcohol at all i mean okay. i've been having a bit here and there but you know mm. yeah so there enough, we go so not, not enough to, to attempt a mosquito well, hey clearly. should we talk about should we talk about my ankle quickly before we get into it yeah it's gonna be a fairly short show if you'd like so, hey this is why you don't skip a leg day guys i went to the gym yesterday picked up a quite a heavy weight and as i did i bent over and usually it's my back and i actually just rolled my ankle and i went right over my ankle and it is i mean i'm not going to show it to you because i've got it elevated as we speak um with with an ice pack on it it is really really swollen really horrible this is we're recording this well what is it now six days before i go to bloodstock Mm, I couldn't go to the, couldn't go to the architect's gig yesterday because I couldn't even walk upstairs. Small mercies. Well, is it? Don't think so. I paid for that as well. Um, Good. Yeah, pretty annoyed. Pretty annoyed with my life at the moment. I've got to be honest. And um, what better what better podcast to be doing than Broken Records? Where, as I said, we <laughs> search for the worst records ever made. Uh, so Renfrey, delicious snack for insects. Me one-legged hobbling shit face but yet despite that we still think we're better uh, than most of the <laughs> albums that we talk about on this show we have a huge list of albums that we have compiled made from fan reaction critical standing your suggestion their reputation the band's feeling towards the album or maybe some kind of icky thing that was uh, happening um, to the band at the time or maybe just a kind of some sort of circumstance but uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Neon Twang by The Twang, the fourth studio album from the Birmingham-based indie rock band released on the 10th of March 2014. Before we get into The Twang, let me run down the 20 worst records that we have covered on this podcast so far, all of which you can go back and listen to historically, if you so wish. Uh, number 20 is Razorlight by Razorlight, followed by Fever Brothers' famous first words, Linkin Park's One More Light, Super Collider by Megadeth, The Truth Is by Theory of a Dead Man, Slick Dogs and Ponies by Louis XIV, Queen and Paul Rogers with The Cosmos Rocks, Richard Ashcroft's United Nations of Sound, the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band original soundtrack, Eoghan Quigg by Eoghan Quigg, Graveyard Classics Volume 2 by Six Feet Under, Towers of London's debut album Blood, Sweat and Towers, Vanilla Ice's rap metal monstrosity, Hard to Swallow, Angelic to the Core by Corey Feldman, Philosophy of the World by The Shags, Little Zan with Total Zanarchy, Bad Blood by Blood on the Dance Floor, Methods of Mayhem by Methods of Mayhem, The True Symphonic Rockestra with Concerto in True Minor is number three, number two is Double Wide by Uncle Cracker, and number one still, that top four or five, seemingly impenetrable, and sitting astride all of the shit, Broken Side, I'm not a fan, 
but the kids like it the worst record we have heard so far from the 46 records that we have covered and it's about to become 47 with the twang neon twang before we get started renfrey um i think both of us went oh kind of mid noughties emo emo uh indie that yeah. kind of indie landfill thing when the twang popped out of the hat last week uh which would suggest to me that on reflection maybe we don't know as much about the twang as we potentially thought we well, did. well maybe yeah because um really the twang started like a little bit after well they they began in 2004 but by mm. the time they'd released their first studio album was it love it when i feel like this 2007 yes. um even even by that point with the debut album out which does get to number three in the charts to be fair we will but... we will go through the history of the twang and okay. stuff uh like in more detail but yeah you're right yeah but, it but was a little bit later all i was going to say is it actually even at that point it almost felt like the beginning of the end of this kind of um indie pop revival thing would you say that's fair definitely yeah and i i, I have definitely. to in my head i have to say i thought the twang were a little bit earlier than that um I mean, there's an awful lot about the twang which i've either misremembered or like i i went to listen to their biggest song on spotify so i could pinpoint right which of these indie landfill bands are the twang which which one is it um and i vaguely recognize the song but not not all that all, not all that well if i'm totally honest the biggest song in question being or either way how familiar are you with that song steve because not me not not very no me neither i mean mm. i don't really remember it to be honest i actually no. well we'll probably talk about the remix of it that happened quite soon after its release and oh, i was okay. actually think i kind of more familiar with that than i was uh, the initial song of it so okay yeah but if, but it's essentially it's that but i mean and i was coming into this and i was like well we've done a bunch of this and i wondered if we were just going to kind of be repeating ourselves again but I'm not sure that we are going to be doing that because it is slightly different. I would, around, I would say, I would say yes and no. We will be repeating ourselves, mm. but not as much as we maybe thought we would be. Yeah, okay. So let's talk about the twang. Phil Etheridge and John Watkin formed Neon Twang together when they were studying music at Tech College in 2004. They were inspired by the Manchester scene, particularly Oasis and the Happy Mondays. The Happy Mondays appear to be a very, very sizable influence in the in, in the twang which i think is ironic because i was looking at their bio and they said they were initially inspired to create an antidote to the dance music that was around the time which they found objectionable in 2004 you found dance music objectionable in 2004 so you started an indie band because yeah Indie was in such a good place at that point, wasn't it? And that wasn't an omnipresent, awful thing that was happening. I mean, not only was Indie the biggest fucking thing around at that point, it was also absolutely fucking rubbish. So maybe, if you don't like dance music, which, you know, understandable for some of the stuff that was happening in 2004, sort of understandable, maybe make something else, not Mm. an indie band. And also don't say you don't like dance music when your primary and you can start a guitar band but you don't like dance music even though your primary influence is the happy mondays yeah an indie band who were trying to make dance music yeah pretty much (laughs) what the fuck are you on about what a weird so already i was like what a weird couple of guys the twang the neon twang are it suggests a sort of surface level appreciation of music doesn't it because like you can see yeah. how on the outset someone might listen to happy mondays and do oh they've got very little to do with dance but if you really get i mean you know yeah they were big ravers basically weren't they effectively yeah yeah uh, yeah it, that seems like a bit of a mad mad thing to me certainly really quite silly um they developed a reputation by all accounts for making unpretentious straightforward rock and roll again i'm reading from their bio they also developed a reputation for inciting violence at their early gigs apparently their early gigs were incredibly rowdy and to improve the situation and to improve their reputation and to make everything a little bit calmer there they decided this was what they decided to do to change their name from neon twang to just 
the twang. Now, Renfrey, <laughs> is this a tactic that you feel works? Should Osama bin Laden just have changed his name to Laden so that the American <laughs> government went, oh, he's probably all right now? Um, no, I can't really see how that would um, make any less violence occur at their shows. It, it's weird. It doesn't really feel like um, very violent music at all, anything that I heard today. Um, it well, was actually relatively background, I thought. Um, hmm. But um, but yeah, maybe it's more of a comment on the sort of people who go to twang gigs. I think it probably is, because I'll tell you what, right? Just, this is sounds. not the... Not the twang. Well, you know what? Like, I, I hate to say it. Probably the, some of the nastiest um, gigs that I've been to have been the kind of pub football hooligan style. The, I saw the Corti- I saw the Cortinas. Either for, for work, but like the Cortinas played the Royal Albert Hall um, during the Teenage Cancer Trust concert weeks a couple of years ago, and their crowd was the most objectionable, horrible crowd I think I've ever come into contact with i've been to a few things before and it's usually like pop artists or hip-hop or you know but but indie crowds can be really really like shit like really shit there was like just broken glass and aggression and everybody was like they were pissed beyond belief like everyone seemed like they had necked 10 pints before they'd come on and um it makes me think like is that why people think Oasis are good live? Because they're so pissed they can't remember. Well, definitely. I mean, I, 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 I completely... I feel like we might have mentioned it on the show before, but I completely agree with you with that thing of, like, indie crowds. When you get a really, really bad crowd, it is indie crowds who are kind of the worst because I think there's a sort of... Um, understated quiet code that rock fans and metal fans understand this whole thing about, like, picking someone up in the pit and all this kind of thing. Um, I think generally with the indie crowd, the people who ruin it are people who kind of see that sort of behaviour and think, oh, that is how I'm supposed to act at gigs, but don't really get the um, the other kind of more secret rules that go with it, which means that, you know, you should look after the fellow people who you're doing that with. I remember, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast or not, but like one of the worst things I've ever seen at a gig was a My Vitriol gig. We've talked about my vitriol a bit. Not a heavy, heavy band, certainly in comparison to the stuff that we cover on the show. And this is not a slight at all on my vitriol. I'm sure if they saw what was happening, they would have um, stopped it from happening. But there was a very, very slight, very small woman who was on her own. And these two guys were behind her, basically antagonizing her in a very, um, saying very nasty um sexual things to her that they wanted to do to her basically like tag team stuff and all that kind of thing i'm sure you can imagine and i saw this i was just like i can't really believe that no one's stopping this and i ended up like i was close it felt like i was close to getting into a fight because i turned around and just said dude like leave this person alone you don't know who this is and blah 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 it was just it was awful they were horrible and then they came up to me and they um antagonized me and stuff and they walked off in the end but uh it was genuinely quite intimidating and i've never felt that uh, a metal gig or a rock gig it's never got that out of hand when people have just been that downright like cunty i think is the way to uh, describe it um mm-hmm. I'm not saying that things don't sh- happen at metal shows and yada yada of course they do but 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 i've never seen anything quite as like horrendous as that and then also just to throw in another friend of mine's um story i I don't think she would mind Uh, my friend tracy set up this amazing organization called safe gigs for women i'm sure people would have seen like their logo around and stuff they've made amazing traction and um she set this up after she was um inappropriately touched at a manic street preachers gig you know man, the manics you know like it's like fucking hell you the know. ultimate fucking i like the, the like when i talk about oh the manics really let me down with the direction they went in <laughs> that that is that in a microcosm isn't yeah it? yeah exactly man and 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 um you know i i, I i'm sure she won't like that is quite a, that's a story that she's used to sort of promote the 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 organization so i don't think it's out of turn for me to say that but but 
you know, look, it would be insane to say that that there's no way that would happen at a Watain gig. There are there's people I know who have had you know. Last time I went to a Watain gig, there was a guy with a fucking like actual swastika t-shirt on in front of me so you know let's let's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't think anyone i don't think anyone can really take the moral high ground no sure um, too much in in any like genre particularly but what we can say is in our personal collective experience of seeing lots of different genres of music live over the years in our personal experience the worst incidences have been not not at gigs where the music itself is necessarily very sonically heavy it's usually the indie guitar stuff yeah and and i think it's it's a it's a football a sort of football um i don't want to say football hooligan but a football fan mentality is what it is i think now you know i i kind of stopped going to football like you know i'll talk about football on this podcast a fair bit like just dropping it in occasionally um but I kind of stopped going to football because I sort of started not really liking the atmosphere anymore. And it's a sort of weird kind of atmosphere where everyone's like puffed up. like People like to puff themselves up like a peacock. And it brings out this weird kind of aggression in people. And for some reason, those people tend to go to indie gigs and sort of behave the same as they would. Like, you know, I've shouted at referees and linesmen and shit before. Like, I have definitely done that. My dad will tell you some stories where I've been... <laughs> appalling person to, to like linesmen and referees and uh, opposition players before but all verbal i hope all verbal i went to upton park to see west Ham chelsea and i was like okay well i thought it was quite bad at fratton park but uh that was genuinely horrible kind of prison riot fucking atmosphere at that game it was mm. It was really bad. Somebody, Ashley Cole scored to put Chelsea 4 up and the guy behind me said, fuck you, Cole, you fucking N-word, out loud. Wow. And I turned around and went and looked at him and just stared at him for ages and nobody said it, nobody said anything. And I was like, somebody apart from me is going to say something, right? Mm, mm, We're yeah. all going to say something, right? And everyone just sort of looked forward. And even the guy who said it just sort of stared forward, didn't speak to me. I was like, and I was, I was like, I cannot fucking believe that that cunt just said that. I was like, I cannot believe you just said that, mate. And he just w- wouldn't actually look at me at all. And I, yeah, it was, it was horrible. I think I've said this before on something. Anyway, I can't remember. Anyway, yes, there is. There seems to be some kind of weird crossover between certain bands. I think the Cortinas, my God, Cortinas was like going to, like, the fuck, like a fucking school disco in a Manchester Polytechnic in 1987 or something do you know yeah, what I mean it was like yeah. real, like a rough part of it was I looked at the Royal Albert Hall afterwards and I was like it's like it's been it's like there's been a riot in here it's mm-hmm. mad so mm-hmm. there's been an actual riot in here anyway the twang developed a bit of a reputation for violence at their gigs they changed their name from Neon Twang to the Twang to combat it that's definitely the best thing to do <laughs> it was actually suggested to them and again found this in many of the bios there as I found it was suggested to them by their managers. Managers. They had a manager. They were unsigned at this point. The plot thickens, Grimfrey. Who gets a... What, what kind of unsigned band after about a year has a manager or managers? Um, I suppose some do. Yeah. But I'm always like, why have you got a manager? You're new at college. I mean, I'm, I, there, there, there could be a number of reasons. And, like, sometimes management can help with getting bands signed and stuff. I Like, it's not as common for it to be that way around, I don't think. But I wouldn't say that it's, like, totally uncommon now. I think more of the band, a lot of the bands that we know and we would talk to, it's like some of them manage themselves. So, just as an example off the top of my head, Brady, who's managing Conjure for a while, I think he still is, I'm not sure. But, like, just as a, you know just as an example no wonder they're stuck at the bottom of the bill yeah, yeah exactly all the festivals that idiot that fucking twat managing them I saw him <laughs> I saw him at 80 trees by the way yeah he couldn't remember who you were I don't care about that <laughs> don't care uh, anyway go on he's married now isn't he good for him <laughs> congratulations on your marriage Brady if you're listening probably not but uh, she she will realise at some point I did I did meet Brady's wonderful wife and she's she's an absolute angel yeah she's she's lovely mm. she's very very nice mm way too good for that guy way um, too good way too good anyway so they're ma- yeah man- they, they, they're the manager quite early on so in 2006 um edith bowman and james mcmahon they of radio one and the nme at that point saw the band in birmingham and that became quite a big like boost for the twang suddenly they had demo tracks being played on radio one and positive write-ups in the nme leading to 
something of a furious furore and bidding war to sign the band who inked a deal with Be Unique Records, who also had Primal Scream. Oh. And the Kaiser Chiefs. Oh. Um, and their debut single, Wide Awake, went to number 15 on the UK singles chart in early 2007. Uh, in April 2007, the band received their first ever NME cover prior to their debut album coming out. Oh, we've heard this story a few times before, haven't we? Awesome. Or yet, still haven't learned. Still haven't learned. They were held in the NME as Britain's best new band, presumably oh. of, of that week. <laughs> that sounds really familiar as well. It what, does, doesn't it? What, wasn't the last time we covered this, The Vines, on Broken Records? Yep. I think it was. And it? exactly yeah, yeah, the yeah. same thing. Exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. the same. Um, they released a double A side uh, of Push the Ghosts and a cover of Brand Van 3000's Drinking in LA, which they promptly shat all over i Not saw i saw that song. on spotify and i was like i really hope that isn't a cover of of drinking mm. in la because we did we bring it up on one hit wonders we did yeah. we brought it up uh in re- in relation to it being not quite as good as still my sunshine by len which no, but, i think is probably fair but, but a great still a decent of, song yeah still, yeah, yeah still a good song so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, don't no, slow no. it down anymore and make no, it more boring oh you have well done <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, You're the best band in Britain, uh, April the 15th to 22nd, 2007. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, in June, the debut album, Love It When I Feel Like This, was released, and as you quite rightly said, peaked at number three on the UK album chart, Renfrey. The only way is up, right? Nah. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) Nah. The band played a tour that year to promote the album, and this is how quickly this shit happened. Do you know what London venue they headlined on this tour promoting their debut album Renfrew oh I'm going to be realistic and I'm going to say the far forum Brixton Academy fucking hell Brixton Academy imagine how long it took the likes of Parkway Drive yeah and Mastodon to get to Brixton Academy. And you think of some of the bands who still haven't got to Brixton Academy yeah. and the twang did it Con- in a couple of years based on an NME cover and a fair old bit of hype. A Con- Conjurer have never played Brixton Academy, but, that, <laughs> but that's because Brady manages them, I think. Because so, they've been appallingly mismanaged. Yeah, that's oh, really uh, appallingly. I, think, yeah. I think so, yeah. The, the big secret in the music industry is Condra should have headlined Brixton Academy by now. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, if they had any other manager, you'd think they'd be on daytime <laughs> rotation on Absolute Radio, wouldn't they? But they're just getting fucking fucked up by their poor management. Um, the Streets did a remix of their hit single Either Way with Professor Green in tow. We recently mentioned, again, mentioned Professor Green on the Pop Collaborate and Listen podcast yeah. uh, crossover thing that we did when he tried to ruin uh, Just Be Good To Me. Yeah. The, 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 the remix of that song, I think, is actually all right, to be fair. Okay. I think Mike Skinner does a fairly decent job with that. Uh, the other thing from, from this period that I watched, the band released a single called Two Lovers, which had a video that starred Danny Dyer and Jamie Winston in it. Now, I watched the video and it is fucking hilarious. It is like a three and a half minute long Nick Love film, right? And um, you presumably didn't watch this, Renfrey? No, no. Would you like me to give you a a kind of synopsis of what happens in this video? Please. I'll do it in a Cockney style to really make sure that... Right, so, Danny Dyer and Jamie Winston, right... They have a cracking night out, sinking booze, being proper naughty. Jamie goes home first thing in the morning and her old man gives her some GBH and her luggles because she's been out on a fucking town all night. She's not taking it from that old mug, so she scarpers. While all this is going on, Danny's up to no good. Of course he is. He's a geezer. He half inches a car. It's hot now, so he has to flog it sharpish. He takes the monkey from the bloke that he sold it for, goes down a fucking boozer. Now, little did we know, Danny owes some proper tasty geezers some dosh. They take him into the gents and they rough him up a little. He ain't got the money though. You're having a laugh, ain't ya? He spent it all on fucking booze. So, he has to gamble it all on a game of Jolly Joker. But before that, he sees some right salt across the bar 
and decides to try his hand on getting a bit of crumpet. <laughs> Danny and his new bird go outside. He gives her a right Donald ducking. While he's, <laughs> while he's tickling her fancy, Jamie's gone out. She's up on a bridge looking right brand off. She got the tears streaming down her face. She's all cut up and upset inside. Danny plays a card game. He loses. And then he owes these lads even more moolah than he did before. So he decides <laughs> to scarper. Ends up getting in a ruck and tries to fight his way out. He gets a bloody nose for his troubles. Gets turfed out. Goes nogging first through the window. He's lying there in the street in the bins. Having a right fucking mare. All cut up. Covered in claret. And this is where Jamie sees him. She gives him a hug. He says he's sorry. They kiss. We fade out. Sorted. Lovely jubbly. Wow. I feel like Joe Nally from Earn just told me <laughs> the synopsis for that music video. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's basically what happens in the video. It's very nice of the twang to invite their fans to star in their own music video. <laughs> The most naughties looking thing as well. And I don't mean no, I mean, it is fat. <laughs> you don't mean the most naughty looking thing. You mean the most. Yeah, but it looks like very 2000s yes. looking thing. Yes, like yes. What Danny Dyer's wearing, young, kind of thin, sort of scaggered looking Danny Dyer. <laughs> Jamie Winston, like blonde hair, like sort of short pixie blonde hair. Um, yeah, it's, it's really funny, that video. It's funny because it is rubbish <laughs> is it sort of it's is it sort of rubbish. lock stock 10 years yeah too absolute late. like mm. <laughs> total like trying to be locked so oh look there he is down by camden lock yeah <laughs> having a sink in a few fucking jars before he goes out on the tan <laughs> fucking rubbish it's fucking rubbish it's rubbish right but um anyway you know the twang number three best band in britain and the enemy all this stuff the reviews for that debut album were not great it got two in the guardian two in the times two in uncut and Renfrey, quite telling, I think. A mere five out of ten in the NME for that debut record. Oh. The wheels are coming off already, right? They backed them, and they're already like, mm, I'm not sure about yeah, that. Yeah, that didn't take long, did it? Didn't take long, did it? So by the time we get to 2009's Jewelry Quarter, which is the follow-up, 2009, I mean, but you know, you said the wheels are coming off this indie thing in 2007 by 2009 the kind of indie cowpat had been stomped very firmly into the the grass i think and we had a world where rihanna and lady gaga and katie perry were around and frankly loads of stuff which is far more interesting than the twang or their ilk were ever going to be way more exciting than any of those bands even the ones who broke through i mean rihanna Mm -hmm. is a more interesting artist than the killers full stop definitely you know yeah comfortably um the record the follow-up record only made it to number 20 on the uk album chart so quite the drop from number three to number 20 still charted in top 20 still charted yeah yeah but you know it got another two out of ten review from the guardian and a mere two years after they called them the best new band in britain the nme gave this album one and a half stars out of five saying there can't be many people looking forward to this record since a the twang failed in their bid for world domination first time around they've completely dropped off the radar so the story of jewelry quarter isn't one of music at all but a five chances down to the last couple of hundred quid of their advance and the album is also of course for the entire entirety of its 44 minutes and 23 seconds complete and utter dog shit the fucking nerve the fucking nerve of the enemy to bemoan the hype surrounding a band that two years before they called the best band in Britain yeah. before they had a debut album out is frankly staggering. Now, again, whoever wrote that they're the best new band in Britain, all that back in 2007, almost certainly wasn't the person that gave them one and a half stars two years later i am aware of that we're more than aware of that but some level of consistency between the things that you've done previously would be welcome at this point and for the enemy to kind of go whoa 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 it's not us not our fault not our fault that the twang suck Mm, kind of is guys if you're going to make a proclamation as massive as the best band in the world right now that shouldn't come from one person on your staff or the editor maybe you should make it a little bit more diplomatic than that you know i mean we're kind of lucky we're just two people so if we both absolutely adore something then we can be like right act thinks this is incredible but um 
it's a little bit different with that with magazines and like an example of like doing it better we, we've discussed before about like when you submitted your 10 out of 10 for the last code orange record so back to bring that this up code orange yeah. yeah there's a whole editorial discussion about whether or not that was the right thing to do yeah for that band which you know and that might have been like jumping through a heap through through a few hoops and it might have been ever so slightly irritating for you but then at the same time it showed that hammer care enough about their brand to not just chuck these plaudits out and then have them come back to bite them on the ass later i, I think you know you put your argument well across really really well with that one but is there a good argument to put across for the twang? I'm not sure if there is, to be totally honest. No, I, I, I'm not sure there is either. I mean, inevitably at this point, the band suffer a load of lineup changes, although the two founder members were still kind of hanging on in there. Um, we get to 2012, there's an album called 1020, which reached number 52 in the charts. Mm. Five years and a 49 place drop from album one to album three. Mm. Yeah, it's not looking great here. No, it appears to have been reviewed slightly more positively than any of the other albums. Um, the band then played uh, a new single. I don't know what single it was, but they played a new single before the crowd at the Etihad Stadium before an FA Cup tie between Manchester City and Barnsley in 2013. <laughs> They're from Birmingham. Uh, oh, right. Why? It's weird, isn't it? And then they headed out on a co-headline tour with Cast. Strong, as Fred Durst would call it, dad vibes. <laughs> uh, I'm getting from that. Um, and this is where we reach the 2014 record that we're about to talk about. It is apparently a bit of a departure for the band musically. Now, I've only heard, as discussed, kind of bits and pieces of their past. But I can sort of see that it is that. Although this time, it's sort of basically a different type of Manchester that they're borrowing from this time. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to find out you know what was going on with the band in their head at this point because there's not really a lot written about the twang and certainly but not at this point uh, in time there's not much about the twang the, the, so the wikipedia any... entry for this album is one sentence i believe <laughs> yeah it was released and then the track <laughs> pretty much yeah um i found one interview from the band promoting the record of this period and it comes <laughs> from a site called gig sluts with the z oh <laughs> I, I, so i'm 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 vaguely familiar with gig sluts but i very rarely look at it and yes what a what a yes 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 great you're familiar with it because for other reasons <laughs> um, it was not you're like what this is just reviews and interviews this is not what i was expecting I at it all was a dating app i'm confused yeah okay good mm. so it's an interview with john watkins um who said that the album was inspired sonically by the band kicking their drummer out because he was stealing from them. He said, kind of the thing that started us off down the road uh, that we got on, really, is that we didn't have a drummer at the start of it. We sacked our drummer after he'd been stealing from us, so obviously we got rid of him. Then we had a new drummer, Ash, but he kind of came along later. So we wrote a chunk of the album making our own beat, and that pushed us down the path we went, really. It's just whether we planned to go down it or not, we've planned things out so much this time, it's a lot more off-cut and instinct really oh sorry we've not planned things so much this time it's a lot more off cut and instinct um obviously this album is called neon twang which was their original name and it's kind of quite a classic mid-career shit things have gone off the rail what the fuck do we do let's hark back to our successful early days period thing to reference really isn't it that that whole like oh this is what we used to do it's a classic like shit we've done 10 years like eight ten years of our career and it's going quite badly so maybe we need to to, to like reference do you remember when we were good do you know what i mean <laughs> like the self-title it's the se like it's not releasing a good album for ages and then releasing a self-titled album and going this is the definitive album mm. that happens a lot yeah maybe I, I i don't i feel like very few people would have known that they originally called Neon Twang apart from the people who were really paying attention to them, which at this point wouldn't have felt like very many people. But yes, I agree. It probably was. That probably was the intention um, behind that. Although weirdly, like, so I don't have much to compare it with Bar, the big single um, that they released from their first album. And I can see a difference between the two. It's not monumental, but there is a difference. They're going in a different mm. direction. So I don't think musically it is exactly the same. Um, although it's noticeably the same band. Although I'm not saying yeah. the Twang have much of their own unique identifiable voice. Because no. they don't. Um, this is what John said regarding the name of the album. He said, there's not a massive story behind it. We, um, It's kind of reference to where we are. 
before we got signed before we signed the record deal and we did everything ourselves all the creative things it was all done ourselves then we signed a record deal we signed a massive deal and we had all these creative people on board and they kind of messed us up really we agreed to do stuff because they were polydor records it's kind of we lost our way a little bit now we have our own studio record label and self-manage ourselves we have got a manager but we've done the thinking sides to it ourselves it's a kind of reference to that you know to homage to the band that we were well that confirms it um yes. cool good for them yeah. uh also the, the last thing i want to i want to pick up in this and this is like i have long suspected that people that just like indie music um they don't really like much else and they don't really like do you know what i mean like i sometimes think when people talk about oasis is the best band ever or whatever you go what else do you listen to and you see they like cast an ocean color scene and the libertines and the strokes and nothing else and you're like yeah oh okay i'm not sure how much you know about the wider yes and i've, I've, I've long sort of suspected that that was a thing um here's something that in in the interview he's asked if Birmingham and some good bands coming through in Birmingham at the moment will it ever have a legacy to live alongside Manchester and this is what John says he says I don't see why not got a bit of work to do we've got to make up uh, for a lot of time to compete with Manchester they've got more than a few good acts but I think there's some really good bands that have just come through some really cool bands when we signed we were trying to get a deal all the bands around us were pretty rubbish to be honest they were all like living in the 60s they all thought they were mods and kind of rubbish Liam Gallagher impressionists so yeah whether we will ever be on par with Manchester we've got work to do now uh, if you said to me does Birmingham have a it, it, will Birmingham ever catch up with the musical lineage of Manchester I'd go, what do you mean, will Led Zeppelin ever be thought of as fondly as in Spiral Carpet? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Will, 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 will Black Sabbath um, ever have as big a, a reach as fucking like, the, the Happy Mondays? I imagine they will. I mean, to me, it's just a, com- it's a completely different thing. Mm. But to, to bemoan, not even bemoan, but to kind of ignore, that, like, London, Birmingham, Manchester... I guess Liverpool for the Beatles and, you know, I, I don't think there's anything even really comparable from Liverpool and the Beatles. And then Wales. Obviously, there's some good, really good Scottish artists as well um, from sort of dotted around Scotland. And, you know, that, I guess, kind of South Wales. There's There were there was a, a period where there was loads and loads of art bands coming out of Wales. But, like, those are the, the undoubted, obvious hotspots of Britain when you talk about the, the most important, integral music that's ever been made from this country ever Mm. the idea that birmingham wouldn't be part of the conversation is absolutely fucking hysterical to me like that he's going oh but he's from birmingham and he doesn't (laughs) even realize that like judas priest are from birmingham mate yeah but then deep purple what are you on about but none of that really surprises me that that like they're not thinking beyond their own kind of quite limited walls because i think especially around this time there was an awful lot of people who were kind of i think the johnny burrells and people like that like they were i think there was another wave of this similar to the punk movement you know i could be like them they're just like me i could be big and i could do this and people getting into it for reasons which were maybe more um more selfish uh that uh, um or you know reasons of like wanting some sort of fame or infamy or something like that um so they might not have like looked into that sort of thing i'll give him one bit i mean it does feel like the um interviewer was 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 questioning more like in terms of what's happening now but then you know if you talk about yeah, what's going on in manchester then really well, well a lot going no. on in manchester at that yeah point, wasn't no it? i don't think i know was. you just said oceans well in 2014 2014 what was even yeah what was even going on in manchester not a lot ocean size has split I up mean, and, and i i wouldn't i wouldn't have named ocean size because they didn't make a very big splash you know um no but i'm saying if it, yeah in in like 2007 you would have gone well there were some good bands in Man- coming out of manchester at that time i suppose there were a few but, but yeah there's, like, there's I mean, always good bands coming out of everywhere it's just a case yeah. of you know whether you can when you whether you look for them or not whether you can find them but like at every point in in modern music history there are good bands coming from absolutely everywhere it's just a case of yeah finding them you know so i mean fucking don't tell me that like take that simply red and james are as good as fucking 
Duran Duran, Electric Light Orchestra, UB40, Dex's Midnight Runners, Napalm Death, or Godflesh. Like, mm. give me a fucking break, mate. Mm. Like, how can you not know the fucking lineage of your own town? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Someone said to me, like, bands that come from even fucking like Reading and, well, let alone Basingstoke, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can name all of them. Yeah. Like, come on, yeah, mate. Yeah. Come on. What? Anyway, uh, I also found a really, the other, the only other, and I don't really count this as an interview because he basically, like, there's some, he had a chat with some girl on a Word, WordPress site and she uh, just asked him a bunch of quite nonsensical questions. And in the end, eventually, she got around to asking him about the sound of the new album, literally the last question <laughs> of the interview. And he said this, um, I guess, eclectic. It's definitely eclectic and lo-fi. It sounds quite lo-fi. Yeah, electric, e- eclectic lo-fi. Hmm. I mean, that's quite ominous to me. You don't even know what your own record sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, it's not eclectic uh, at all. Mm. Um, lo-fi. <sighs> Comparatively, if you're talking about the shiniest, shiniest stuff, compared yeah. to the killers, it's probably lo-fi. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I can see that it's DIY, but lo-fi... I mean, lo-fi, I kind of think of um, Bill Callahan stuff and things like yeah. that, or neutral milk hotel and you know daniel johnson, daniel johnson. no yeah it's yeah. not really lo-fi at all uh anyway let's get to the reviews there aren't many reviews that i could find but the enemy gave it one and a half stars um because they like backpedaling in 1998 <laughs> they say filmmaker gus van sant's near shot for shot remake of alfred hitchcock's psycho was penned for being wholly unnecessary the world didn't need a remake of psycho likewise the world has somehow managed to keep spinning on its axis without the twang since 2012's 1020 uh, why then do we now have neo twang trundling about aimlessly like a doddery tortoise who can't even remember if it even wants another bit of lettuce but it's ambling on regardless the sprightly chugging of city lights recalls an uninspired supergrass while the bluster heavy happy families bravely tackles the desperate ills of prostitution with the thought-provoking observation she's on the game such a shame and while happy family's snappy sludge hints at a slight reprieve the jingle jangle whimsy of larry lizard is a tired reminder that there's only one crime worse than being outright bad and that is being mind-numbingly banal as this q gave it one star saying ultimately this 11 track lp is nine songs too long and the rest will swill around the bottom of the indie rock barrel like thin gruel and clash magazine gave it five out of ten saying always a bane of critics the twang still thrive on daft couplets a wordplay which doesn't so much fail to get off the ground as collapse on the runway too much of neon twang feels slight as if the band is still beset by identity issues still confused by the prospect of what they could be it actually only suffered a five place drop in the uk album charts peaking at number 57 which after the massive drop i said 49 places in five years as a Mm. drop in the charts i think You'd have to take that, wouldn't you, really? (laughs) You'd have to just take that as a sort of positive. But anyway, that's what people thought. Renfrey. Neon Twang by The Twang. What do you think? Um, So, in a slight turnaround, I think those reviews are actually quite unfair in many ways. Um, I think it was the the enemy one, wasn't it, that you um, cited, which talked about the Psycho remake. Was that right? The enemy one? It was, yes. Yep. So that, to be honest with you, and this is something that we love to do, take apart our fellow critics' work, uh, is a terrible mm. comparison. Because, Psych- yes, Psycho is a shot-for-shot remake and completely and utterly pointless. Uh, the, the remake, obviously, I'm talking about, not, yeah, not yeah, the original yeah. film, to be clear. Yeah. A shot-for-shot up until the shower scene, I think. And it's just in colour rather than black and white. And it's got... Modern, Vince Vaughn. Vaughn and yeah, modern actors. Anne Hesh. Yes, it was Anne Hesh, wasn't it? God, yeah. God. Uh, um, and, you know, it's a pointless waste of time. And you could argue this entire scene's a pointless waste of time. Hey. Um, but the reason I don't think it's a very good analogy is I don't think. I think. <sighs> a neon Twang is not insanely different from that indie landfill stuff from 10 years previous. But it's different enough, and it's certainly not a total rehash of that stuff. As I was listening to it, and please, you know, I'm not saying that they were are as good as, but I heard elements of the Doors, which I hadn't really. You know, basically, there's a lot. There's a lot of organ in one song, <laughs> but it made me think of the Doors, yeah. and none of these other bands have made me think of the fucking Doors, you know. And they were doing some relative. 
relative like let's not go overboard this is not a very good album but they're, they're doing some relatively vaguely interesting things and i was listening to it and i just keep looking up and going well that's like that's not a bad idea that's not terribly executed you know it doesn't feel like there's anything really badly executed on this record i don't think it's not it's not a very interesting album to be totally honest but as we've been saying throughout this we've done a fair few of these kind of bands now just having a look at the list you know we've got razor light um would you put louis the 14th in there as one of these bands yeah they kind of are fever brother dirty vegas to a degree the enemy um the vines as well um Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say right now that i think that of that little lot i think this album is far superior to all of them and and the only reason why i think it's far superior all of those records really annoyed me and irked me um often multiple times the razor light record i really wanted to kick johnny burrell in the nuts by the end of it and it's not even very long it's only about half an hour this album annoyed me twice through its entire running time yeah um i think i'm just gonna get the track listing up happy happy family yes yes yeah. oh goodness me o- open beams and wet dreams is one of the lyrics yeah 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 I, ha- but happy families right that was the first point in the entire record where i was kind of like oh for goodness sake and that's track seven of an 11 track record yeah. you're over halfway through it by that point the only other bit that annoyed me and nowhere near as much i have to say the last song uh yeah uh Bailey dies is this Welsh. By we by we die. It's, it's yeah. Welsh, and I didn't even find it that annoying in comparison to Happy Families. But there was a part of it which was just like, oh, this is a little bit irritating. The rest of the album, for the most part, you know, it was background music, and it wasn't. It, it actually affected very little emotion in me, one way or the other. To be totally honest, which obviously is not a you know resounding success or anything like that. But we've also talked about the difference between bad albums and broken records on this as mm-hmm. well and i don't think this is i think yeah i don't well, is it even a bad record it's not a I, it's not very good but i don't think it's bad and i don't think it's broken i i not at all i mean i've got to be honest with you i i mean you go we go i go into these albums going oh what hell am i about to hear mm. and it starts with a song called city lights it's quite slow mm-hmm. and it's got like a dub bass on yeah. it and i was like oh well, none of none of none of those bands i mean one of the things that i used to hate about the razor lights and the kooks and stuff is that they didn't appear to have a bass player. Like how thin yes. and papery did those wire, like shit, did those bands always sound? It's I was true, like, well, the Twang have got a bass player. Mm. You can hear, and not only have they got a bass player, they, they're utilising that instrument. And I was like, oh, fair enough. And the second well, song. And, and also, as I thought you were about to say, um, the, the, like how much dub do you hear in the likes of Razorlight? And, you know, like, no, like none, that, none a, a dub influence just doesn't seem to go into that music at all. So it's like, okay, no, this is a little, you know, not wildly, but it's a little bit different. So that, yeah, that's exactly mm. what I was talking about. Yeah, and the second song, Lizard Larry, which has released a single, and I can sort of see why, really. It's a kind of, it's got a really sort of 80s electro thing. I mean, the lyrics are silly as fuck, yeah. no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But this was, if, if this was released now, and I think if it was front, I mean, I think one of the point, the problems with the record is, if this was fronted by someone a little bit more likeable, with a bit of a better voice, who could write better lyrics, then I actually think this would be a good song. In fact, I didn't mind it at all. And I watched the video, and it's got one of their singers being taken from the streets, and it's into a kind of clockwork orange style place where they're trying to introduce some sort of fever dream thing in it it's not the best video ever it looks fairly cheap and stuff but it's fine and the song's not bad at all mm. and then i've got like that's quite a good point though yeah. just before you move on um there's very little charisma in this band is there even compared yeah. to say i mean i fucking hate him but ray but johnny burrell has some charisma i don't think he has anywhere near as much as he thinks he does no but he has some charisma there's not an awful lot of charisma in the twang at all yeah and but then i think when i go through track by track like new love it feels a bit more like kind of early stone roses shoegazy mm-hmm. thing yeah it's not done anywhere near that standard no it's not amazing no. but it's perfectly acceptable the wobble is a bit different yep. i mean the lyrics are dreadful but i wasn't like this is shit sucker for the sun um yeah it's a bit more like it's kind of the sort of thing i expected that we'd be getting here it's got that kind of mancunian drawl a sort of 
um 60 summer vibes thing it's not but i mean i just i don't really care for it particularly but i don't think it's badly made i think sucker for the sun is the song with the organ that i was talking about there you said 60s yeah, sunshiny would. i mean 60s yes sunshiny less so for the doors but it, there was definitely a doors reminiscence you know yeah yeah but it had that kind of i guess that kind of yeah that that but, but you're right because that kind of california 60s yeah, thing i mean yeah. it could be the mamas and the papas yeah or, yeah, do you know yeah what i mean yeah. it could be something like that rather than but um and almost anything is okay again i mean yeah, it had a peter hook baseline a little bit more delicate i mean i thought it was very new order obviously again yes. it's not as good as new order one of the reviews spoken about happy that out yeah 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 we, we've we've spoken about happy families yeah. medicine is a sort of shoegaze ballad again if the Jesus and Mary chain weren't quite that good. <laughs> but at least, again, the frame of reference is a little bit different mm-hmm. where, you know, you wouldn't have compared um, the pigeon detectives to the Jesus and Mary chain. Mm. We wouldn't have compared the enemy to the doors or whatever. No. And, you know, they, they do bigger than you is a sort of baggy verve isms with a bit of orchestral. It's, it's fine. I think Step Away is the last song, which is a sort of a proper acid house dance rock song, which is obviously, you know, mm. it's trying to be a bit more threatening than it is fun, which is up to them. Obviously, not quite sure it works that well. I mean, I think some of the decisions they make in the sort of tonality of what they're trying to do. Like if you're recording, like you say, if you're recalling The Doors, probably don't try and be too happy. If you're recalling Happy Mondays, try to be a bit more sort of lighthearted with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that song, Step Away benefits from a lack of vocals Mm. and now because i do think that the vocalist is probably now i don't really like i don't know why this of all their albums is the one that we've ended up with here i mean it's obviously the one with the worst metacore metacritic score and so i guess my guess was it was that that was my guess yeah yeah and i suppose it's had you know some of the worst reviews but you know i think i actually prefer it like having listened to another to a good sort of seven eight nine other twang songs from other albums before we did this i think i kind of prefer this to the other stuff i've heard and i think that if this came out today under the guise of a new band then we'd go oh they're doing that very zeitgeisty thing where they lean on kind of 80s indie and post-punk and that feels like quite a hot star right now and look they're not the best at doing it by some stretch but this is okay. It would be much better if they had a better lyricist and they had a better vocalist. Unfortunately, they have neither. And I think that is a bit of a problem for the twang in general. Um, but really, I think it's probably that old, well, we've built them up. Now we must decimate them before your eyes thing. And they just, I guess no one cared about this. And in 2014, no one was really going for the post-punk thing like they are now. And there's bits and bobs of like, you know, New Order, Dub Bass. That feels much more kind of relevant to 2021 even than it did in 2014. And I imagine 2014 with people already not wanting to like this band. And like you say, they don't have loads of charisma. They don't have that much originality. But they were trying to do something a little bit different. Mm. I, I feel like they've for been the time, kind of... Which is different for the time. Different, yeah, different for the time and different for the scene from which yes, they were surrounding yes. themselves yeah, yeah, yeah. with. You know, when we'll talk about, you know, we've already said they supported, you know, James, and we'll, we'll talk about the other people that they went on to support and play with, you know, in the aftermath of this. But this album's not bad. I just, I actually don't think this album's bad. Yeah. I think it has problems. Mm-hmm. I think it has yeah. plenty of problems. Yeah. I don't think they're amazing songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they've gone out of their way to listen to a bit more music than a lot of their peers and have actually made a record which is you know in the grand scheme of things it's not super eclectic but for their peers and their peer group this is a much more eclectic interesting record it is yeah than any of those bands would make and weirdly it seems to be the one that everyone doesn't like yeah in a while. i mean they've had a few that people don't seem to like but i don't think this album's that bad i think this record is absolutely fine and of course on our sister podcast riot acts that's quite a damning thing to say people have talked in comments and over the the dark web about Renfrey saying things are <laughs> fine and how it's the worst insult of all time uh, which i love that's great said fine. <laughs> it's yeah. fine but to be honest within the context of broken records me saying 
um that's fine it's actually a pretty positive thing i think compared to some of the things that we've talked about on this show before so mm. i like this record is totally fine and and i brought so it brought up that psycho analogy because i just thought i i did wonder if because this sort of thing was not in vogue and not cool at this time this is kind of like the equivalent of us getting a Hollywood Undead album or something like that, isn't it? It's like, you think it's going to be a real chore to listen to it. Because like, oh my God, this band, like no one's given a shit about them for ages apart from... I was going to say demented people. Is that an awful thing to say? Well, <laughs> I, I would question the overall sanity of somebody who likes Hollywood Undead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. Um, and, um, and you know, I, it just feels like those reviewers maybe cursorily listened to it in the background once and then wrote up a review for it. I think they just wanted to give it a kick in, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, probably. They were like, this is an... Im- our Im- we must shut down our embarrassing past. <laughs> yeah. It's like you see a photograph of yourself at school and you've got a stupid haircut and you're like... Oh, look at that stupid haircut. Oh, that's what the enemy like to do with bands. They go, oh, remember when you said, you remember, you remember when you said the Claxons were the new Beatles? And they're like, oh God, no, no, we didn't. They're the worst thing ever. Oh, embarrassed. It's like, yeah. come on, lads, yeah. come on. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, this is not bad. So I think before we rank it, let's go into the kind of aftermath. Um, the release of the album um, happened. Obviously, hence why we're, we're able to listen to it. And uh, a essential piece of key information there. <laughs> yeah, the, b- <laughs> the band went out on tour with fr- fellow Broken Records alumni, The Enemy. Oh, of and they course also opened... they did. Of course, of course they, they did. did. What a tour! In a in a yeah. terrible way, but what a tour! Amazing. Yeah, they also opened for the Libertines at their 2014 Hyde Park reunion show, which I'm sure was full of really lovely people. Uh, they must have been, well, they have been sort of plodding along since then. They've opened for the likes of Reverend and the Makers and Ocean Colour Scene. Oh. In 2017, they toured the debut album on its 10th anniversary, playing it in full for the first time ever. Of course they did. Of course, yeah. they, did. Of course they did. They also that year released a Greatest Hits package. Oh. Okay. okay. I mean, that's what you want to do. Trying to get off a contract? No, this was released independently, wasn't it? I don't know. Yeah. Weird one. After four albums? I mean, look, it happens all the time, but, you know. Yeah, but usually it happens to people who have a hit. Yeah, or... or Like, more than two hits. Or they're trying to get out of a record contract or something like that. Or they're that. trying yeah, to get out of a record contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe they just like the idea of having a greatest hits. Waste of time. Absolute fucking waste of time. In 2019, they released a follow-up to this record, so they went five years without a record. The record is called If Confronted, Just Go Mad. It didn't chart at all. It's the first album there's never charted. Since then, they have supported Doves, um, their big shows, their big comeback shows, uh, alongside The Coral, Feeder, and um, uh, Matey from The Smiths. Why can't I remember his fucking name? Not Morrissey, the other one. Jim, I, I want to call him Jim Steinman. Jim Steinman was definitely not in The Smiths. <laughs> what's his fucking name he's the fucking guitarist in the smiths jimmy why do i want to call him jimmy mack or jim steinman what's his fucking name from the smiths just gonna gonna leave don't look it up you should know this um (laughs) johnny ma uh johnny ma i kept wanting to call him modest mouse johnny ma johnny ma johnny ma opened for him as well they also played with the kaiser chiefs so here's the thing i knew none of that these bands still exist and they're still plodding along probably playing the same people who think they have like, oh, I like proper music. But the difference is these days, if you hate that music, you aren't forced to listen to them on the Friday Night Project <laughs> or like on every advert. And now that is what I call progress. That is oh, yeah. why 2021 is a better world than 2006. That's just my opinion. And that's what I think. Um, I think ultimately this is sort of a case of be careful what you wish for, isn't it? Because... I, I don't know if maybe the twang had had a few more years to develop as a band. Maybe if this was their second album and that the first one hadn't have charted and they hadn't have been on the front of the enemy and they weren't such a hype name, such a kind of a band that people had heard getting shoved in their faces over and over again. I wonder if the world might have been a little bit more forgiving to this record. Now, I'm not saying that this is a great record, but I think it's a, a six out of 10. Do you know what I mean? It's not a, 
terrible, terrible record. It's F- a six pushing a seven F- out of ten, I think. I, I was going to say five pushing a six, but yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, but even that, like broken record territory, we should be talking like the four. Should, a four should be like the maximum we should be talking about, right? Like I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I mean, I got really got no beef with this, and I think they're kind of you know, it is that thing of the industry has kind of fuck them mm. pretty much so where it goes to be put i mean i think it's kind of better than a fair few records that we we've done to be honest just but- just before we do that because there's a nice little bit of bookended symmetry that we can do here um the last place that the twang played in london was brixton academy funnily enough the place that they played uh for their first tour they headlined there was it it wasn't their first date in london but it was their first headline tour is that correct the first it was it was a headline tour support uh, the first headline tour supporting the release of their debut record okay well when they came back in 2019 they were supporting shed seven okay okay so see you mate yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> it does look like I mean, they played the borderline earlier in the year, which is what, well, it's not there anymore, but it was what, 500 cap? 500 cap, maybe. Um, It does look like they played the forum at the end of 2018. uh, And that does, it does look like that was their own show. But going from the forum to the borderline six months later, I mean, that is a very firm kind of like, no one wants you, go away. (laughs) Um, It is a bit, oh, bless. Um, so go on, where do we put it then? Well, I I think it, I mean, it sounds like we're both agreed that it should absolutely be um, the lowest number, the highest number, if you will, of all of these kind of guitar indie bands, which immediately puts us at definitely number 33. Mm-hmm. And actually even number, th- which is, uh, so the Vines Melodia is number 32. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like, uh, um, you know, I found it more interesting than, certainly found it more interesting than Kids What We Aim For, found it, mm-hmm. found it more interesting than Tim Machine, found it more interesting than Fisher Spooner. I mean, then we get to Naomi Campbell, which is obviously a bit of a bugbear. But actually, yeah. but actually, yeah, you know, I mean, I would say, yes, I got more enjoyment out of the Naomi Campbell album than I did this Twang album. But I actually think mm-hmm. putting the Twang at number 35 is not a bad shout between Fisher Spooner and Naomi Campbell. Yeah, I mean, obviously we did Fisher Spooner um, a couple of weeks back and we again sort of said, well, I guess it's the sort of circumstances surrounding Fisher Spooner as to why it's here. Not a terrible record. I agree. I think the Twang record is probably, for me, more enjoyable uh, than the Fisher Spooner record. Yeah. It's not better than Baby Woman by Naomi Campbell. But then I'm looking at stuff like, you know, the Transform Man is really like, what the fuck? And standing in the spotlight is like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then you get a bunch of stuff where you go, where there's genuinely great stuff on some of this, like Lauren Hill we've spoken about, Babylon Zoo. Yeah. Spaceman elevates it, metal machine music, and Neil Young and Lulu and Self Portrait and The Darkness, and even Liz Fair, who. And her hot white come. Love it. I mean, I don't know how she's managed to get in there, actually, on reflection, but, you know, there she, she, she's there. Mm. So she has to be there. So, yeah, I think that is actually a fairly easy placing yeah. for the twang. Yeah, I would say so. So I would say there it goes in between Fisher Spooner's number one. And Baby Woman by Naomi Campbell. Yeah, that feels pretty easy for me. That was not as painful as I expected it to be in, in any way whatsoever. No, right? not, gonna lie. not in the slightest. That was that we, we've we've reviewed two dozen handfuls of worst records on the on Riot Act. I would say I've pulled one out of the hat, and it's gonna get fucking painful next week because okay. we are returning to the wonderful world. To our youth, Renfrey. To my, mine and your youth. The wonderful world of new metal. Right. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. It's been a while. It's been Vanilla Ice, I suppose. It's been a while. Um, I know how you feel about this record. And I know how I feel about this record. Chamber Music by Cold. Oh! And Dosi. We might try and get a guest in for that because I think that's one isn't it yeah that's one that's one to chat about i might even i, I might even text des for fire and see if, he wants to <laughs> <laughs> see if he wants to talk about it um this is a record I probably, I probably won't do that in case he says yes and i have to go des, what are you fucking doing? <laughs> this is a record that uh, i used to own on uh, shiny cd plastic cd plastic 
Mm. There are some that I that I do own. I still currently own uh, in in this hat. Uh, I never owned chamber music. Right, right, okay. Sorry. It, was, it was the first uh, first Cold Chamber album I bought. Uh, like, weirdly, I listened to it the other week when I did the, the 10 worst albums by good bands from the 90s, and I was like, a Cold Chamber, a good... Can I even put Cold Chamber in as a good band? I don't really think You I really can, shouldn't, no. You really shouldn't. But I just thought they were... They were, they were, they were significant. A signi- yeah. A significant band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, hey... Look, fucking get your bloody chin strap beards in on <laughs> getting grown for next week. Dye them blue, pierce your septums, and we will see you here next week. Wear your fishnet tights and smash onto my liner, and we will be back here next week to talk about. Well, I nearly did a song that's not on the album, though. I nearly did a Fiend for the Fire and the Fire for the Fire, which is a fucking great song, to be fair. But, um,. It is supposed to advertise and it'll be Shot the Monkey, won't yeah. it? Shot the Monkey! Awful. Monkey! Um, anyway. I feel like just before we go, um, I did uh, message Brady during this recording. I said, currently recording a broken record and we're twanging on about how much of a twat you are. See what I did there? And uh, he's messaged back saying I couldn't be happier and gave me a little kiss. What, oh, nice. what a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> what a wanker. Oh, Brady, we like you, actually. See you later, everyone. We'll be back next week. Cold Chamber, coming out the hat. They're coming... We should bring Brady on. Thick and fast. We should bring Brady on for Cold Chamber. He's welcome to come on. Mm. Thing is, he probably won't remember that. Anyway, we're talking about Cold Chamber next week. It should be a lot of fun, I think. So we will see you then. Cheers for tuning in. Bye now.